This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, your second favorite co-host around these parts. I do not have Andy Bailey with me today. However, the team-by-team off-season outlook podcast series continues to roll on with the New Orleans Pelicans, who have objectively one of the most fascinating, mission-critical summers ahead of them of any team in the NBA. There's the Anthony Davis trade stuff. They have, they have the pick that's going to turn into Zion Williamson, we think, but we also know. I thought, who better to bring on than Shamit Dua and Mason Ginsburg from In the Know, the New Orleans podcast that is also hosted like Hardwood Knox on the Blue Wire Network. If you want to follow these gentlemen, and you should absolutely want to, Shamit can be found at Fear the Brown. Mason is at Mason Ginsburg. As always, if you want to follow me, I'm at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. Andy is at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. Also, make sure that you're following Blue Wire on Twitter, at Blue Wire Pods. We're pumping out content left and right there. Blue Wire's done a fantastic job covering the NBA playoffs with Blue Wire Buckets, which goes live two to three times a week. Blue Wire's also really owned the localized NBA content. Like I said, there's In the Know with Mason Ginsburg and Shamadua. They're going to be on today. We have the Light Years podcast, which covers the Warriors, Chase Down which the, with the Cavaliers, Cash Considerations for the Chicago Bulls, and a whole slew of others. Blue Wire's a ton of NFL podcasts right now, and, and they're adding more across all sports. So be sure to check us out. And finally, as I ask every podcast, plead with you, every podcast, to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. It takes 10 to 15 seconds out of your day. Search Hardwood Knox. Throw us that five-star rating. Leave a review. We really love reading them. And certainly subscribe to us if you haven't already. We can be found wherever else you consume your podcasts as well, whether it's Google Play, Art19, Spotify, Blog Talk, all those great places. But iTunes is still the best way for us to just track and know that you are out there. If you have done all those things, please, we really do appreciate referrals. Steal people's phones. Uh, subscribe them to the podcast. They'll they'll thank you later. Just help us get the word out. I'm done talking now, though, at least for a few seconds. It is time to get to Mason Ginsburg and Shamit Dua to talk about some New Orleans Pelicans. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast. I am Dan Favalli coming at you without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey, this time. As we continue continue our deep dives into every team's off-season and long-term outlook, though, I am super excited to be joined by uh, the co-host of the In the Know podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network and the Bourbon Street Shot website, uh, Mason Ginsburg and Schmidt Dua. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing great, Dan. I couldn't be more excited to come on and talk about the Pelicans, especially given all the recent events that have happened since the lottery last week. Yeah. Uh, likewise, it's been a, 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 I would say a roller coaster, but that's not really fair because it's been all highs, uh, <laughs> which, which is uh, not, if you've been a fan of the Pelicans for as long as uh, Schmidt and I have, it has not been the the norm. So uh it's a it's a welcome reprieve, and, and hopefully the highs keep coming. I really liked the intro to the In the Nose podcast when you guys were discussing what happened after the lottery, and Schmidt was like, the biggest thing to happen to the Pelicans this week was Chris Finch interviewing with the Minnesota Timberwolves. I and he's it. staying. He's no longer going to be the head coach. 
That's, Great. that's just now a flex news. on David Griffin's part. It's just like the yep, Clippers absolutely. keeping all their assistant front office members, and now the Pelicans are going to keep all their coaches. <laughs> um, so lottery aside, because I, you know, David Griffin's good luck charm that he procured, you know, that's fine. But what were your, what have your first impressions been of the David Griffin era in New Orleans? I just felt like just from the, the get go with the press conference and where I don't know if anyone was banking on him saying that he would look to keep Anthony Davis, whether or not they believe it's a negotiating ployer. He actually truly believes it. Just the way that he came out and just the whole organization, it, it felt like from that moment that it was a good fit and that it was more than just them winning the press conference. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll kick us off here. And it, it really was. And I think it's a, uh, it's, it's all about this broad, a uh, sense of an organizational transformation, and so uh, in in some in a certain light, it doesn't even matter what reality was. It matters what perception was, and the perception was this was a football first organization that treated the Pelicans as like second class citizen. And I think over the past month, starting with uh, maybe not even starting with David Griffin hire, I mean, but but this this the, the Pelicans ownership, Gail Benson. And they've made it clear that the Pelicans are a priority for them. I mean, I, I think the way that they handled the, uh, the the Lakers pushing, trying to push them around, clutch trying to push them around with the 80 trade request back in February, they handled that well. Um, they, they made a fantastic hire in David Griffin. I know we'll talk about some of the other things they've done too uh, regarding Nelson and, and Langdon, but it's just been it's been win after win, and I think it's it's it, it all comes back to making the Pelicans a, a force to be reckoned with and, and, and a team that the, the rest of the league has to respect. And uh, to whatever degree you might believe that that hasn't always been the case uh, in recent history. And so that's, that's what really is uh, making me most excited about it. There needs to be in, if this is true, that the Pelicans were just looking to screw with the Lakers leading up into the trade, trade deadline. I so hope that it is. Uh, there needs to be an owner of the year award implemented and it, in 2020, it needs to go to Gail Benson because that's just, <laughs> that's just fantastic. And you're right, just from everything with the now, there seems to be more of a separate separation from the football organization. Uh, just it seems like fantastic stuff is, is going on there. Uh, in what way, though, if any, do you think winning lottery changes the or impacts the Anthony Davis situation? So I think now. It has to become a conversation for Anthony Davis that can he go elsewhere and truly have a better shot at winning and have his finances in place and go to a good culture? Because his whole reason for wanting out of New Orleans was, hey, this organization hasn't cut it thus far. I need to, I am committed to winning, so I need to go to an organization that gives me that, just like the stellar New York Knicks and the Los Angeles Lakers have been doing over the past <laughs> few years. Um but, no, really, I think if you're Anthony Davis, you have to ask yourself, look, the Pelicans are going through a massive change. They have committed to reorganizing their front office. They have committed to renovating their arena to the tune of $4.8 million. Not the arena, sorry, the practice facility. They brought in uh, the Phoenix Sun medical staff, and they got the number one pick. What more does this organization need to give him uh, in terms of reason to stay. And that doesn't even mention the fact that they can offer him the largest contract in NBA history thus far. So I think Zion definitely changes the equation because now you have a potential all-NBA talent waiting in the wings ready to make this a sustainable venture going forward. There. I go back and forth. Their commitment to uh, by poaching Langdon, and I think even with the the David Booth stuff, um, it, it seems like they're not, not that they weren't committed beforehand, but they they really are putting an emphasis under Griffin on player development, and I think that helps. Then there is the whole Zion thing, and I look at it when you see the two teams that at least last year it seemed that he wanted to go to most, the Lakers or the Knicks. Now with everything that's in place including Griffin in New Orleans, I think it's very easy to argue that Anthony Davis prefers to leave than for organizations that probably don't have as good of long-term outlooks. Just when you look at the non-existent or completely unproven asset base New York has in place and the truncated title window you're dealing with in Los Angeles with LeBron, assuming it ever even opens because of what the West 
looks like. At the same time, then on the flip side, I'm sort of like Zion Williamson is also going to be a rookie. And so I'm wondering if he actually has that pull. And so is it actually a bigger deal for the Pelicans to sell Davis on just other stuff aside from, or maybe going out and making other moves as opposed to just using Zion now as a, as a primary attraction. It's funny to me because in a press conference today, David Griffin had a funny little line where he says, if Anthony is truly committed to winning, and then he says something along, along the lines of like, you know, we'll find out because our organization is moving in this direction. But the whole like, if he's truly committed to winning, it seems like a jab at at Davis listing the Lakers in New York as potential destinations because let's be real right now their biggest attraction is the market not their organization structure right. not their roster um and so I th- and especially the the Knicks now just after missing out on Zion I think they were the one team where everyone thought hey maybe they could come in and beat a Celtics offer that includes Tatum that everyone expects will be proposed if the Pelicans are going to move Davis, with that now off the table, uh, do you think there is a team that can even come close to rivaling what Boston can offer? Does Los Angeles getting that fourth pick move the needle there at all? Or do you think this is still very much, again, assuming the Pelicans look to move Anthony Davis, that this is still uh, something where you, you look at it and say, hey, the Celtics can still put together the best package? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, and so uh, in our podcast last week, uh, Schmidt and I talked with with Michael McNamara, who used to uh, co-host in the Know, and he's been part of Bourbon Street Shots for a while, and he, we basically just did a mock negotiation of about eight different teams, and, and I think the realization we came to, and, and not that we didn't know it beforehand, was this is still the Celtics' offer to lose. Essentially, I, I think I don't think there's a team that can put more assets on the table uh, that that are more malleable in the sense that they can be if, if the pelicans don't like a certain part of the offer it wouldn't be hard to flip flip part of the offer for something else they might want more and whereas i think for some of these other offers like even the the knicks with with the third pick and possibly rj barrett i mean i just think that you're you're banking a lot on barrett and then because the rest of the knicks players aren't anything special and then you've got their picks and it, the knicks picks maybe won't be good if you put ad and katie on the same team and then you're relying on the dallas mavericks picks and if porzingis and uh and Luca, uh, continue, uh, you know, KP comes back healthy, and the Mavericks are, are good for a while. Like those picks aren't that good either, and so it, it's it's tough. There, there's it's just no one has as complete of a package, I think, uh, of at least the frontrunners that we know about. Besides the the Celtics, I just don't I don't see a team. If everyone puts everything on the table, I don't see a way that the Celtics don't come out on top. Is there if the Celtics for whatever reason, whether it's they just don't want to include Tatum or maybe. Kyrie leaves and there's the whole order of events here. Do the Celtics try and go after Davis to keep Kyrie or do they wait to see what he's doing? Let's say they get word that he's leaving or he actually leaves before this AD situation plays out. And then Boston says that they're not going to include Tatum. Do they still potentially have the best offer? Or at that point, do you prefer something from the Lakers or Knicks or a potential dark horse? And it's, I uh, think, uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think at that point I'm shopping around. I think, at that point, you can even bring in teams like the Clippers or the Nets into the conversation because their assets are going to be similar. I think at that point with Boston, you're looking at Jalen Brown and a handful of late picks, which is fine, but it's nothing that the Nets can't do because they have their own pick. They have Denver's pick. They have the fir- the 31st pick as well as a bunch of young players they can include. And on top of that, any future picks. The Clippers are in the same situation where they have – uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander and Landry Shaman as young prospects, as well as Philadelphia's pick, Miami's unprotected 2021, and any future picks they want to include. So I think if the Celtics are like, we won't include Tatum, it opens the door for a lot of other teams to get into the bidding. My actual last directly Anthony Davis related question, and I think I'm sort of rooting for this, is there a scenario in which the Pelicans don't get a commitment from Davis, but they also don't move him and let this ride out into the regular season. And I know there's risk there because of what it might do to the offers. But if you look at the main competition for his services, the Lakers are going to presumably use their cap space this summer. And so they're not going to be a team that can just kick the can to 
2020. And if they do, they've wasted another year of LeBron's prime. Uh, the Knicks want to use their cap space. I guess they can wait until 2020 if they really wanted to. The Celtics aren't going to have cap space. And so I wonder how much waiting actually damages uh, the offers from the primary teams that are out there. And then for me, just for someone who roots for chaos all the time, I would love to have to see, well, one, Anthony <laughs> Davis and Zion play together a little bit, but to have David Griffin and the Pelicans just show the gall to let this ride out into the regular season is, I don't know that I can envision it, but I would root for it. And I'm wondering <laughs> if you guys could see it, a scenario like that playing out. Yeah. And so I, I pushed for this on our podcast last week and I, I, I think I got a little bit of pushback on it, but I think every passing day that's, that has come since that, lottery result I think it's become a little bit more of a possibility I don't think it's ideal by any stretch uh but at the same time I there is still a world where you can trade Anthony Davis at the trade deadline you're probably not getting as much as you would this summer but also if you think there's a a a plausible scenario to AD and Zion playing together and things going great and maybe AD deciding he's going to be around for the long term I think it's I, I I don't think it's impossible I still think it's a very unlikely scenario. There was all the, the, I mean, one of Griffin's first comments at the press conference opening press conference was either you're either all in or you're all out. And that would be the definition of neither. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so again, it's a stretch, but I, I, I don't think that you can say there's a 0% chance of that being uh, on the table. I guess one of the downsides there is if, if you do eventually have to go back to the Lakers, or even if it's the Celtics with Jalen Brown, they have got a lot of the trade assets they're coming up on. Brandon Ingram's extension eligible, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma will be on new deals in two years, Brown's extension eligible, and so you just shorten the window that you get. Uh, assuming you end up accepting one of those packages, you shorten that window that you get into what these players are worth to you specifically. Mm. Yeah, that, that Ingram extension in particular is terrifying to me. <laughs> yeah, I have... Yeah, that's going to be his. I don't even think he's going to get an extension just because of his injury. Uh, and so I'm very intrigued to see what his restricted free agency ends up looking like. Uh, and like with Zion on board, I'm terrified committing long-term money to anyone. Right. You know, just keep yourself flexible. Yeah. The other thing is, is the, I mean, Zion's going to be worth it. But like these rookie scale deals, like we can say these players are on rookie scale salaries, but Zion's going to make almost $10 million in year one. So there's just like a lot of moving parts there with with all the finances juggling. Uh, the one thing I was interested, though, in his opening press or anyway, where Griffin was pretty adamant about saying Drew Holiday is a core piece, and it seemed uh, he viewed that independent of whatever happens with Davis. Do you think that that's an actual thing because he is relatively young or at least not old as three years left on his deal? Or do you think that we reach the point, you know, maybe midseason or maybe it's even after next season where the Pelicans have to sort of look at their own timeline and wonder whether Drew is a keeper for them long-term. So I can take point of this one. I think it's absolutely an actual thing. The message has been consistent from all aspects of the organization, from the coaching staff, from the front office, to even Drew himself, that this is a partnership that they're deeply committed to. They view Drew as a franchise-building block, and Drew is excited to take on that responsibility. Now, that being said, I understand things can change in a year or two, but I think at this point, Drew is fully bought in. And he wants to see where this is going to go, especially with the number one pick in hand. He immediately called David Griffin and Alvin Gentry the the moment the the Pelicans won the lottery to let, you know express his ex- excitement. So I think both parties are definitely interested in seeing how far they can take this. But I think if the situation isn't great, let's say two years from now, and, and Drew has um, a year or half a year left on his deal, they might find a solution that works for him as well. He's not one of those players where I look at and think he's supposed to be older, but for some reason his contract makes me feel like it's supposed to run through his later season, but it only takes him through age 31. And so even if that doesn't jive perfectly with your timeline, that's just not a bad uh, contract or a clogger to, to have on the books because that's straight through his prime. It's, it's at the, the end of his prime at an end, so he's not even out of it by the time that concludes. Yep. Um. Does... Etwan Moore, the only other domino I think could fall from this Anthony Davis stuff. Does he survive in, in Anthony Davis trade? I know what Schmidt wants. <laughs> Etwan Moore, you mean the guy who's eighty-eight percent of Bradley Beal? How how could we possibly trade that guy? What if it's for Bradley Beal though? No, oh, I, don't get him started. 
Oh my <laughs> goodness. So so it's a running joke on our podcast where I don't like Etoy more, but I do love Bradley Beal. So you mentioned the two trigger <laughs> words for me. It's quite impressive. You don't like Etoy more? He's fine. He's fine. He doesn't do anything well outside shoot. He's fine. I, I don't. You want me to start on this? I don't know if you do. Yeah, I, so to give you some. Give well, you I mean, I had when I had Mason on a podcast a few months ago. I think it was in the middle of the, the season or at the beginning of it. I had a love fest for Etoy more. So I'm very interested to hear what you have so, to say. Yeah, so I'm gonna, uh, yeah, I'm gonna let Shivit take this one. But just to give you a little bit more context here, there was a there was a period uh, like about a, a few weeks into the season where uh, other <laughs> other Pelicans uh, uh, media uh, were, were calling him, and I and I'm not paraphrasing here, untradeable. Um, and oh. so, <laughs> he, I mean, he was off to a torrid start. But it was one of those things where you just knew. Uh, I mean, it was going to end at some point. Well, you should have known because his entire career to that point was one thing. And then he was just going crazy for like a three-week span. He was was putting up like 20 points a game and and just like 50% shooting from three. And it was just, it was wild. I mean, it was, it was really fun to watch, but at the same time, you just, I mean, if (laughs) there is no scenario in which each one more is untradeable. And so it was, I mean, obviously he came crashing back down to earth. And so um, I'll I'll, I'll let Schmidt pick up from here, but that, that, that's a little bit more about each one more season this past year. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to me, each one, you know, he's, he's a great guy, tremendously hard worker, but he's probably the most replaceable rotation player you'll ever find on an NBA roster. Here's why, you know, he has one above average skill, which is shooting. And he's really good at coming off screens and finding his little spots to get those shots off. I guess you can count his floater as another above average skill, but he cannot shoot his, create his own shot. If you close out on him, in any aggressive fashion, he will. He just won't shoot it. So his volume of three-point attempts is are very low. He's pretty bad at attacking closeouts. He, the best he can probably do is a one-dribble pull-up for a mid-range shot, which is like, why do you want Etwan Moore taking that shot? And then he can't play make for others, so it's fine. Um, his handle is not the greatest. I I personally think he's a very bad defender. He's always holding, oh, wow. always behind always behind his his person he gets called for like three or four holding fouls a game not three or four that's exaggerating i'm pretty sure only averages like two or three fouls a game period but you know it's always holding he's always he he doesn't know how to dictate position when he's he's defending um his size also puts him in an awkward situation because we were starting him at the three and and that probably colors to be fair yeah that's not his fault but at the same time like when I look at the type of players he's best suited to guarding, it's other Etwan Moores. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's, be, let's be real. He can't guard like the quickest point guards. He can't guard bigger people than 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 he is. It's those weird six three, six four players who aren't very athletic and are more skill based. So, like, yeah, you can put him on JJ Redick and have him chasing around screens, but JJ Redick's not easy to defend. No, he's not. He's not, and I don't think he'll do a great job. But like, that's probably the best type of player you you want him on. Or I don't know, maybe maybe that's unfair to him. But in in any case, it's like I just don't know what he does well that contributes to winning. Like for the Pelicans, if we weren't running his pet pin down play off the corner with him in AD, he just didn't have a way to reliably get buckets. And if he's not scoring, he gives you nothing on the court. He doesn't rebound. He's like a, a, a second percentile rebounder for his whole position, which is insane. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't give you much in the, in terms of, of stocks or he doesn't play make for others often. So it's, it's weird because if he's not shooting the ball, he's literally contributing nothing on the floor. That's my opinion of him. I always thought he was. I, I I feel like he might be underselling his defense, but I've watched really shitty guard defense in New York for like the past twenty years, so I might just be um, not able to judge good defense. He's always seemed like a solid pick and roll guy, and will force a lot of turnovers there. But is it more than could your distaste for him be born from just the fact that like the Pelicans? You know, we're talking about Etwan Moore needing to create off the dribble or for other stuff. Like that's probably not his ideal role, and yet because the Pelicans don't really have wings that can do that it sort of just accentuates that he can't 
Yeah, I mean, I think he was definitely overextended on the Pelicans. Ideally, he's a bench piece. And I think he'd probably be a solid bench piece to any team. But again, bench pieces are mostly replaceable unless you're like Lou Williams or or Montrez Harrell. You know, you're one of those six-man candidates. But he's a guy that many other guards his size, you could switch in for him and not miss a beat, in my opinion. And it's just, I don't know, if I had to create a perfectly average and replaceable player, it, it would be Etuan Moore. Uh, more than fair, and so I'm guessing that means if Anthony Davis gets traded, you think that they'll just offload him? I think we can. I mean, so he's an expiring, and there there might be a team that wants his shooting services. I think, again, I think he'd be really good off the bench on a good team. Like, if OKC had him off the bench, they'd be great. I mean, they wouldn't be great, but they they'd be a lot better than than they were. They could they could absolutely use his offense and and shooting. So if there's a team that wants to pick him up and give us a a second round pick, that'd be amazing. I think that'd be a great get. Uh. Yeah, I mean, if you're willing to give him up for a second-round pick, I would hope contenders w- would be calling. But that's, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe you'll swayed me. I I had a love fest with Mason, or uh, on my own. Mason didn't share in it very much, but a few months ago. I, I'm, I'm much, I, I, I don't think I'm as as negative on Etuan as, uh, as Schmidt is. But, uh, I, I mean, I, as far as his replaceability goes, I do agree there. <laughs> Harry's Razors is helping Blue Wire listeners with a better shaving experience. Go to harrys.com slash Blue Wire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Enough with the cheap razors. Go try Harry's now. It's just $3 for our loyal listeners. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your official trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure to go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for only $3. Full disclosure, I'm just, Julius Randle had a great season. I'm just so much lower on him than anybody else. Do you think that having Zion now impacts his future at all, uh, presuming that he's going to opt out? Well, you're you're pre- this one. I think we're all going to agree on because I think all of us feel similarly about about Randall. Specific, I mean, th- he's just he he kills you defensively, and um, I, I think um, one of the things we were talking about as a group and uh, Ryan Abair for Burger Street Shots. I think I think he put out the uh, uh, the article on. On the uh, on the idea of giving Randall a, a, just a one year contract and a, a kind of a bloated salary as, as a trade chip at the deadline because mm-hmm. I mean for, he was he was good for the Pelicans on the offensive side of the ball he did a lot of the things the Pelicans needed once when after the it all, everything with AD happened and uh, we all thought he was kind of ruining the tank at the end of the season but that ended up working out for the best <laughs> so um, but uh, but yeah I mean I think the Zion. Uh, situation does impact things. I mean, it, they fill a, a, a conceptually. It's a similar role on offense, um, and I, I'm not as sold. Even if AD is traded, I'm not as sold on Randall coming back. I, I, I don't think it's. A, I mean, again, unless it's like a one year deal, it's it's not something I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think I would agree with you there too. Just because him, not that him and Z- well, no, I don't think him and Zion can play together because neither one of them should be defending fives and I, I mean Julius Randle just take cup just goes and gets a cup of coffees whenever he's in half court defense it seems like sometimes so I I don't um I, I guess I didn't really give a thought to as a one-year trade chip and so if you're able to sign him for um I still wouldn't I don't know if I'm the Pelicans I still want to always cap space on him if he's going to resign at you know 120 percent of whatever he was making this year nine and nine and change or uh what was it 8.6 million so around the 10 million mark or a little bit more I, I guess that's fine and and, you know, he might not even get more than that because the thing I keep coming back to is where are these offers coming from for, mm-hmm. you know, these non-unicorn bigs? I just don't know which team's going to look at Julius Randle as the guy this summer. New York. Um, I mean, maybe. I could. I mean, <laughs> the Nets, I could see talking themselves into him, but I don't think they're – I'm trying to be, like, too cruel. Nah, man, it's the Lakers. Lakers are going to get him back. 
that I that needs to happen just for just for the content and that that'll be Rob Plinkock. I never even want to get rid of him. That was all magic. <laughs> um, among their reason. other key, and I guess I'll put key in in quotes here, free agents. Uh, who do you see returning, leaving? And I I highlighted Stanley Johnson, um, laughing there. Ian Clark, Alfred Payton, and, and Darius Miller. So if I had to pick one out of those guys, it would probably be Alfred Payton. Simply because, and this is probably cheap and easy, but he's from New Orleans, and it seemed like he had a great time here. I don't foresee a big market for him. So if they want to give him a 120% raise on the portion of the biennial he got last year, I think he made just over $3 million. I think that's a fair price for him. I wouldn't pay anything more than that. I do think Darius, as a shooter, will end up on a team that values him a little more than the Pelicans and, and kind of fits their timeline. Probably, he, I don't think he'll get more than the Vetmen. If he does, it'll probably be you know a portion of the biennial as well. But uh, I think Darius ends up on a team that wants shooting. And Ian Clark might end up out of the league. China? Yeah. <laughs> Stanley Johnson might follow. But... I think that's about it. I don't think any of the other players are retained per se. Can we call Nico Meritich a key free agent for the Pelicans? Because it'd be great. We should. I mean, they could have cap space, but my pick for them would be: Wouldn't it be great if they, just, you know, uh, Nuggets decline Paul Millsap's team option, and Millsap comes home to to team up with Zion? Uh, I take that silence as a definitive no. Then all right. Uh, I mean. I, would you want to play? I guess you could play them at the three four, and they're both kind of combo. Bigs. Oh, I would just put Millsap at the five and go. Yeah, that's how. Oh, I would, would you? Oh, interesting. I'm not saying that's a wise decision, but I would certainly <laughs> want to see it. Yeah, more than three four, I think. But yeah, uh, uh, it's tough. That's why sure. I'm happy Zion didn't end up in Chicago. By the way. That was just a mess between with Otto Porter and Wendell Carter Jr. and Laurie Marketing. Uh I could have seen Zion playing shooting guard for stretches, and that really concerned me. Uh, of the non-guaranteed deals that the Pelicans are working with, are there any of these guys that you view as, as must-keeps must for them between Christian Wood, Bertans, uh, Kenrich Williams, Frank Jackson? I mean, I, I think they keep all of them except for uh, Bertans. Um, and then is Okafor on there too? Should be, huh? I thought it was a team option. I really should have brought. Oh up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I effectively, I lump all those in together. No, I mean, you're, you're fair, right. fair, unfair. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think all those guys. I mean, they're, 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 their guarantee amounts are effectively league minimum. Uh, Frank Jack. Yeah. I mean, they all, they all kind of are. And I think um, Cameron Williams filled a great role for the Pelicans uh, on the. I mean, obviously in a position that that they've needed for a long time on the wing, and he's never going to be a star or anything. But I think he filled. He made, he played some quality minutes, and um, he, he. I mean, I, I think he can be be a. I think his ceiling is a rotation wing, um, and that's like I, for a good team. And so I I'm, I want to see another year from him to see if he can get there. Are, are look like he's going to get there and then everyone else i mean I, I i think there's really no reason to cut them loose uh just because i think you know christian wood frank jackson and um and, and okafer i think they all showed enough to be worth the small contracts there uh or small dollar amounts are getting paid so i, I the, the only one i i would cut cut bait with is, is Bertans just because i mean he didn't really get a shot and maybe I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a summer league guy for the Pelicans this year. Maybe maybe he'll surprise us. But um, at this point, I haven't really seen anything from him that would make me want to keep him. I just never understood him as a signing. He just seemed yeah. like Danny Ferry wanting to flex on people. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the flex there? Just, uh, just hey, I'm Danny Ferry. I can pull this random guy out of Europe, and he's going to be good. Turns out he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess with the... Jaleel Okafor, if you're going to pay him 1.7 million, I'm not. He doesn't do what Julius Randle does, but you don't. You know, if you're going to bring Christian Wood back too, and you have Zion, like the, I don't know that you want Randle then taking up minutes in your front court. And I mean, the closing kick for Jaleel Okafor's season, the last third or 30 games or whatever he had, was just absolutely absurd. I'm not saying that's his new normal, and the Pelicans weren't winning games in volume, but for what everyone thought he was when he was in Philly slash left Philly, went to Brooklyn. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't believe the season that he ended up having. Look, I'm convinced that Okafor gives you 
80% of what Randall gives you, but at what, one tenth the price? I and, thought you were going to say 80% of what AD gives you for a second, and I got oh, really no. nervous. Oh, no. <laughs> we're not, oh, no. We're not Because, that I mean, like, both of, them, both of them are non-existent on defense. The difference is Okafor, I was actually trying this year, and sometimes it worked. He got some blocks. He was able to force some turns and just be generally big. Julius isn't big. People aren't afraid to go at him. And I think Okafor is an equivalent rebounder. He's a better He's better at boxing out and creating those opportunities. And points are points. I mean, I think points are perhaps the easiest thing to replace in the NBA. Someone's going to score. Yeah, that's a really good point. And uh, like you said, Julie, uh, Julius Randle, wow. Jaleel Okafor ended up allowing opponents to shoot 54.1% at the rim, which is a super elite mark. I don't know if it's sustainable and tracking data is all over the place, but that's the best mark among some of the highest volume rim protectors. So... Him and Zion would be an interesting uh, front court duo, just because I think it would obviously simplify what uh, Okafor needs to do. Uh, in and everyone's on, watching that, everyone's yeah. tuning into that front court. Um, if Zion is what, if Zion is what we expect him to be defensively, I just don't know what how he's going to end up. I think he's going to end up being really good, but he's what is he actually? He's like six six. I, I'm just curious to see how he. I know he's just monstrous, but I. I wonder how he does if he ends up defending, you know, just bigs in general. Um, for without knowing, and this is such a loaded question, loaded question, the outcome to this whole AD soap opera and the perspective and the perspective turn if he actually is traded, what do you guys view as the Pelicans' area of needs? Is it wings who can dribble? Is it yeah, point guards? Uh, I'm just very curious to see what you guys yes. think being so close to them. Yes. <laughs> Good basketball players. That's that's fair. I mean, that sounds like a facetious answer, but in, in reality, I think I want the Zion era to be marked by a little bit of patience, but as well as acquiring as much talent as they can. I think you have time to figure out the right fits. You don't got to put the best roster on Zion day one. Um, you do want to acquire assets. You do want to acquire talent. You do want to build a culture that isn't about losing like i don't think you can go through the process per se um here to put a roster around him so you know if if we do get a talented player and he's a a little bit of a flawed fit next to zion then you know that's fine you have time to to see how that works and perhaps change it into something else as as the years go on but i i think acquiring talent period should be the pelicans mo at the moment and I judge. I believe Mason feels the same way, judging from his response before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, you. I mean, you mentioned wings that can handle and point guard, and, and so I mean, I, I think every. Yeah, I echo everything that Schmidt said. And one other point is that I, I think it's been emphasized over and over again that Drew is more comfortable off the ball. So I think if if they, you know, if Alfred Payton uh, is not someone that that the Pelicans can or will or do bring back. Uh, that's that's definitely a position of need, and, and we we just talked with Ricky on our, our our in the know podcast about how we want to have the ball in Zion's hands as much as possible. So I'm sure he'll fill that role, or, or they'll ha- ask him to try to fill that role um, at, at in spots. But uh, I think a point guard uh, in the prototypical sense is is certainly a need for them uh, for next season. Um. I know you guys said you just want good basketball players in New Orleans. Has there been any free agents that you thought would be a good fit for this team, particularly given maybe the the uncertain timeline that might fit with them, you know, either way, whether they trade AD, whether they don't? Mason, do you have any uh, thoughts here? Um, I have it. It's t- to like to your point, and it's tough because we don't know really know what the situation is going to be with AD. And I think the most likely scenario here is that they are operate over the cap again. Uh, and so in that situation, uh, there's only the, you know, the mid level. Uh, so I, I haven't looked at who might be available at that price point yet. Um, but I mean, there's, I just see so few routes that create that have the Pelicans operating with cap space this summer. So, well, yeah, they'd have to just, I, if Randall opts out, it's just renouncing everybody and then waving all their non guarantees. And when you're not, a prime time mm-hmm. free agent destination. I, I, I doubt that's what they would end up doing. Uh, but yeah. I, so I, I wanted to, 
to chime in a little bit on that. There are there is one player if they had a remote chance at him, I would I would want them to open up cap space for, and and that's Malcolm Brogdon. Um, I'm not I'm pretty sure Milwaukee values him a ton, but in the event that you know they commit a ton of money to to Chris Middleton, they commit money to Miritich, they commit money to Lopez, and all the other players that they have to resign, and and they feel that they can't match Brogdon, I would love to go after him. Let's say you know a four-year, ninety million dollar deal, or four-year, you know, anything above eighty million, starting around the twenty million dollar per salary range, because he, the Pelicans, can open up just under, I think, twenty-five million if they, like you said, Randall opts out and they waive everyone um, without moving any additional people. So I think that's like the absolute max. And if they want to throw that all at Brogdon, I think that's an interesting fit next to Drew as another initiator and another playmaker, but also a good enough shooter and versatile defensive player that you can put around Zion, and he doesn't really mess with your timeline all that much. Yeah, he's the one restricted free agent this summer that I've been saying on all these other... I think I've probably named him as a target for any team with cap space, but he's just the one when you look at the market in restricted free agency. I know Russell's out there, but I think the teams that could use him most, many of them don't actually have cap space. Brogdon's the one restricted free agent that I could see just getting that huge over-the-top offer from a team and and then them daring Milwaukee to match it. So he'd be a good fit. Definitely not someone, but as you said, he doesn't screw up their timeline, so he's not going to be like, oh, Anthony Davis wants to play with him, even though everyone should want to play with him. He definitely doesn't screw up your timeline because he's just that plug-and-play universal fit. I think he could probably play on all 30 teams. So I'd like that one. Um, I I guess without mentioning, it doesn't have to be names, but what type of center would you – and I'm assuming – um, which is the word that I've been using way too much during this podcast. But if they're going to use Zion as the four, what type of center would you guys want to see them put around Zion long-term if it's not going to be Anthony Davis? So in a perfect world, you have a guy who can both protect the rim and space the floor. So I would preferably want someone that's a little bit on the lower usage side. And the kind of person that fits this description to a T is – Miles Turner, I think he'd be a really good fit. Um, other than that, you'd want I think the absolute best possible like pl- player model to put around Zion would be a guy like Al Horford. He playmakes, he's lower usage, but he can score. He's competent offensively. He spaces the floor. Phenomenal, versatile defender. If there is a player like him in the future, that would be the person I would want to put around Zion. Yeah, I definitely. Um, agree with you on that one. The one of my final question was, um, what are you so the Zion Williamson stuff? What are you guys most looking forward to seeing about his rookie campaign, being it a part of his game or storylines? It's just him showing up and giving the middle finger to the people who tried to drum up the storyline that he wouldn't want to play <laughs> in New Orleans when he literally said in December he wanted to play anywhere. The, I mean, I I just I'm ready for. It, it seems like a silly thing, but I'm ready for the excitement in New Orleans. Is that like I, I mean, there was a, such a rush I, I, that I perceived. Uh, granted, I'm in Chicago, so Shemek can speak to this better than me. But the second that the team traded for Demarcus Cousins, I, I it it just seemed like it invigorated the city. And then obviously the team ended up not making the playoffs that year because um, the the integration midseason was just too tough. Uh, and then obviously things got peaked up a little bit more uh you know at, when after the nico trade boogie went down but they made the playoffs for the blazers that was great but um i, I feel like there's a level of excitement in new orleans for the for basketball that hasn't been that uh it, it, we just haven't seen it in some time and so i'm very i'm very excited to see the, the team rally behind Zion and, and, and the Pelicans. And I, I mean, obviously I would like to see them win as many games quickly as possible, but I think the, the fan base will be, uh, will be patient now that the team is doing the right things from an infrastructure perspective to do things. Uh, the, the, I mean, just, just be a model franchise uh, similar to what the saints did about a decade ago and putting the right, the right people in places to be successful. So um Whatever, whatever happens with Zion on the court, I mean, I, I think I, I expect to see great things from him early on uh, across the board. But I, I think it's more about the, the the culture of basketball in New Orleans and what Zion, the the, the pick landing in New Orleans does uh, for the for the city. I will say that if he does, if they did end up sending trading Anthony Davis, I almost want him to go to the Lakers or Knicks because then I think there's a really 
solid chance that the Pelicans end up having a better record than the team that they sent uh, Anthony Davis to, which I think would also just be great for content. Oh, that'd be amazing. For for me, it's just about what the heck is this guy going to do next on a nightly basis? And I think there was a, a large um, amount of that throughout Davis's career in New Orleans. You'd watch him on a night-to-night basis, and you're like, he might go for 50 points and 20 rebounds. You have no idea. And I think, you know, as absurd of stat lines Davis put up, just from an entertainment and wow factor, Zion might be on another level. Like, maybe he doesn't fill the box score the same way Davis did, but, like, just the dunks, the the motor, the relentless athleticism, I think it might be on a higher level than Davis. I just have a couple listener questions for you guys quick fire, if you uh, wouldn't mind or if you're up for answering them. Yeah, let's do it. Um, back-to-back questions, which I think are just tongue-in-cheek to the way that the tweet was uh, phrased, but uh, Peter Negard uh, at Retep Adam and Sham Mohile at Sham Sham got asked, what do you guys think of the New Orleans Pelicans long-term outlook? It, <laughs> that, uh, that's such a vague question. I don't really know which direction to take it. I mean, it's, and I think we, I mean, the way I want to take it is that what we covered at the top of the podcast about all the different steps that this team has made in recent months, everything Gail Benson uh, owner has done everything the right way. They put, she's basically just delegated, hired David Griffin and said, Hey, this is your show, run it. And then, and given him, empowered him uh, both financially and with decision-making power to do whatever he wants. Uh, I mean, brought in Aaron Nelson, brought in uh, Trezon Langdon, and given him uh, a seemingly a blank check to upgrade everywhere and anywhere. And so I, I think that more than anything, I mean, it, obviously the Zion pick is awesome, but I, I think the underlying infrastructure of the team and, and the changes that have been made in recent months is, is what makes me so optimistic about the future. Um. This other, another question comes from Alexander Lee. This kind of touched on what uh, Sham had said before with Malcolm Brogdon, so I'm going to rephrase it, but it's from Alexander Lee at Alex Lee NBA. So if the Pelicans are going to have 20, if they if they went the lengths to carve out 25 million in cap space or max room, if it was you know stretching and waving Solomon Hill or or salary dumping him, greasing the wheels of that into teams cap space for a smaller salary, would you would you go as far to max him out? That might be a question for Mason since Shaman already kind of answered this since the max is close to 25 million, but either one of you is more than okay with me. Uh, who is the player again? Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, oh, um, yeah. So he already answered it. I, I, I think I would. Um, I, I mean, I, I like Brogdon a lot. Um, I just, I, I think I also, uh, have the only reservations I have is also in line with an earlier point of Schmitz. I think in the Zion era, you want to maintain as much flexibility as possible. And as long as you think that that, that deal is something that won't really hamstring you moving forward as in something that won't provide severely negative value, even if you think there's a chance it could be, you need to attach something to him to unload him. As long as it's not something where I don't know, like Solomon Hill type contract, or, I mean, that's probably not fair because Solomon Hill is only 12 or 13 and, this is double that, um, but I, I I would lean towards yes, but I'm not a strong yes. I I don't think I'd go as far as the max. I'd pay him a lot of money. Um, ultimately, I don't think it ends up mattering too much, but I just don't want another like auto porter situation on my hands where he makes the max and you're like, what what do I do with my the rest of my roster here? And I think there are a few players I would want to open up the max for. I think chief among them would be Clay Thompson, but I don't see a chance of that happening at all. But it'd be tough. I, I might open up the max for D'Angelo Russell, which is weird. You're like oh, wow. Russell over, over Brogdon. I might. I might do that. I think I, Russell would be a movable player at the max in in – I think if it's a four-year max, I think two years into the deal, you could move him and some team would want him. But at the end of the day, and I guess you could use this logic for Brogdon too, in four years, that max will run out and Zion's extension would be kicking in at that point, but they'd be coming off the books at that. You know you know what I mean? You have four years yeah. of, of the rookie scale, so it won't. It doesn't hamstring you, hamstring you. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You mentioned yeah, Brog- and then it, it helps like it helps that Brogdon's max isn't the same as like a max max. So I mean, but yeah, but yeah, I, I agree otherwise. Yeah, and I that, think 
I think if Shev has said before he'd go 590, uh, Brogdon's max starts at 27.3 next year, oh. so it's not a huge leap to max money from there. If you twist my arm, I don't. I, don't th- I didn't think. I don't think I realized what that Brogdon's max was that high. Uh, yeah, twenty five percent of the one hundred nine cap that I have that as twenty seven point three. I man, I'm I'm I might be reigning in my comments a little bit. That's a lot of money. <laughs> you, I I don't. Uh, Shaman mentioned Clay Thompson. He would be the one, like uh, maybe top ten free agent. I go back and forth between him or maybe. Kemba Walker that I could see um, skirting just the conventional wisdom in free agency and going for the best basketball fit sort of market be damned and where if New Orleans was going to have max for either one of those two. Not that I would pick them to sign either one of them, but those just seem like the guys that I think if they're going to make a decision, and I would say I'm 99% sure Clay would go back to Golden State, those just seem like the two guys who might uh, go to the beat of their own drums in free agency, at least more so than any of the other you know, top 10 or 12 names that are on the market this year. The last question I have is from Scooty Herming. It's at Scotta Henning. What do you think of the Pelicans going after Rudy Gay? He can shoot now and has already gotten the proverbial bag over his career. (laughs) Why go after Rudy Gay when you can trade for Jalen Brown? (laughs) That's all I have to say. Why trade for Kawhi Leonard when you can have Jalen Brown, which was the question the Celtics asked themselves last offseason. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, he can reach the Rudy Gay ceiling. <laughs> oh, man. Um, uh, yeah, I have, I have no comment. <laughs> well, there you go. That's how we'll end this then. Um, I really ah. do appreciate you guys uh, giving me so much of your time. Tonight, uh, if you are not following these guys already, uh, you absolutely – should be. You can follow Mason Ginsburg. He is at Mason Ginsburg. That's M-A-S-O-N-G-I-N-S-B-E-R-G. And you can follow Shamit on Twitter at Fear the Brown. That's at Fear the Brown. That's a fantastic um, handle. They do a great job over on the In the No Part podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network, uh, just like us. So again, if you're not following them, be, be, be sure to do so. We thank them for so much of their time and until next time i leave everyone else with a shout out to the one and only legendary kyle anderson sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new showtime sports documentary the kings a four-part series premiering sunday june 6th only on showtime